Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat, broadcasting live from Los Angeles. We are, of course, all in the middle of a global pandemic. I never thought I would start a radio show off saying that. But we are marching through. We've always been virtual when we're doing our Voice America show. We're adding video to it as well, and we'll be broadcasting all these video archives um, shortly. So it's it's my pleasure um, during this crazy time to still bring you thought leadership. And um, my guest today is someone who amazes me with how young he is and the size of his brain. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, coming to you virtually from Texas, Mitch Shiat, woo! Mitch, Mitch, of course, is leveraging a virtual background in Zoom, and um, that was a virtual audience cheering for him. So say hi, Mitch. Hi, everybody. I'm Mitch. Nice to meet you. I am a uh, recent graduate of UT Austin, Hookham. I've uh, been looking at disinformation and the various ways that it spreads for the past two years, and the coronavirus is a hotbed of various political viral health and communications concerns. So I figured I'd chime in. Fantastic. Well, the um, original theme of this show was going to be on memes, which, you know, circles back into what you were just saying. But, but talk, talk to us about all of this. Um, just, just sort of set the stage for discussing memes and viral information and how disinformation spreads because um, I know you you've studied a lot a lot of this and you're part of the um, community the culture the cohort um, that is deep in the center of all of this so so give us a sense of what this is all about sure so I have been a meme creator while I was at UT and what was very interesting is at every major university there exists a group of undergraduates, UT being one of the larger ones at around 50,000 people, um, creating content specifically designed to spread on social media um, in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. Um, so as an undergrad, I would create content in one of these groups. And what was very interesting to me is how people took my images that I created and spread them to their own colleges. So, you know, popular imagery that would be a joke at one university would get screenshotted and posted into another group um, for 40,000 more people to, to look at and laugh at. And then somebody would download an image that I had made and put it into their college on the West Coast, and they would scratch something out that was related to UT, and they would, you know, put something else in that was related to their college. So I became very interested in how users on social media spread content through the form of screenshots, through the form of group chats in, in a peer-to-peer -peer manner, which is kind of the crux of everything I've been looking at. Um, and that really came into play as my first big um, research project with UT uh, centered around a lot of the, you know, fake 
quote, fake news and fake ads that the Russian Internet Research Agency created in, in between 2015 and 2017, where they spread lots of content um, through the use of imagery, through the use of fake and parody accounts in order to masquerade themselves as authentic communities. Um, um, just to back up for one second. Sorry. And this was, you were discovering all of this just because of the work that you were doing as a, a graduate student, a college student, um, looking at it yourself with, with your content, correct? Yeah, I looked at the patterns of somebody taking my image and putting it somewhere. And then I would look at the Russians created a certain account designed to mimic a certain community and members of that community were then taking that content that was watermarked with their brand and spreading it to their friends list. And so they were, they were doing the same behavior. And how did you know that this account was a Russian account? You know, like, um, were you aware of it because of just the news talking about it? Or did you, you know, you just knew because of you knew where that, you know, the head end of that account was? I specifically have never debunked something as Russian or not. Um, I've used data released by Congress um, and Facebook that stated the accounts were tied to um, the Russian IRA. But really what it comes down to, it has nothing to do with the Russians at all. It's simply that an image with big text gets spread rapidly between users on social media. And whatever that image contains can be harmful, it can be you know, heartwarming, it can be influential. There's a whole lot of things that an image can contain um, at a very low level and an emotional appeal. Um, so the mechanics of how that gets spread is something I'm a quasi expert in right now. Um, just kind of by virtue of growing up with it. But I'm beginning to see how things get spread um, very quickly in a non-trackable fashion. And so I've been really looking at how to track that, I would say. That's so cool. And what, what is it about an image and big text that works? And is it a demographic thing? Like, is it millennials and younger is it anybody like what is it about us that we respond so much to that well i would come back to an analogy around the big mac which is a one dollar uh food item that mcdonald's sells and to any average buyer of a, a quote hamburger you would think there are certain aspects that you would take into consideration um, when you buy a hamburger, you might look at the ingredients and say there's lettuce or this kind of sauce or, you know, pepper jack versus uh, blue cheese on a whole wheat or white bun. There's all these aspects that go into buying a hamburger. But your average advertisement for a Big Mac just has Big Mac and it's big, glowing photoshops, you know, goodness that you can get for one dollar. And it. it all you think is I'm going to get a Big Mac and it's going to be really good. And it's only going to cost me a dollar. You don't think about anything else. So um, again, it comes down to um, the ease of use. Um, if you look at your average phone screen, 
a meme is going to have the biggest text presented to you when it's in a news feed. It's going to be bigger than who, who posted it. It's going to be bigger than any of the comments. So just by virtue of, you know, graphic design, people are going to look at the biggest thing that they see. So um, whether or not that big thing is true doesn't really matter in the sense that it gets into people's heads and can be spread um, through a narrative. So that's really what's fascinating about all of it. And even, you know, rational people, even professors of mine um, that I'm friends with on Facebook, you know, sort of devolved to some of this stuff. Um, this very emotional spreading of information. And uh, it's quite fascinating being, you know, 24 and seeing people of all ages um, in various levels of media literacy and, and technological, um, you know, capabilities spreading what you probably wouldn't expect them to spread. Um, and it really comes down to they believe it. And it, it's as dumb as that. So. And is it, also, is it also that even if they don't believe it, it's just amusing. And so they just spread it, but then you never know where it's going to go from there. Is that part right. of it? Well, it comes down. There's, I, I wanted to focus on coronavirus because I, I think there's a lot of topical information that's getting spread both in a, a positive and in a harmful light. Um, so one of the ways in which this kind of information gets debunked um, is through the use of fact checking, which is very interesting um, because it's basically turning Facebook into a gigantic newsroom that is defined by your friends list. Um, and we've talked about social media bubbles and things like that beforehand. Um, but what's most interesting is the images specifically cannot be tracked as easily as text. So if you post a link on Facebook or Twitter, anyone can find out all of the users who posted that link. So that can be a link to a news article, that can be a link to the CDC. And if you wanna see a list of all of the Facebook users who have posted that link, that's very easy to do. However, if you copy and paste the information from that link or take a screenshot of it and then post that screenshot onto your Facebook account or your Twitter account, no one can track what's inside of that image very easily. The closest thing we have is optical character recognition, which allows computers to read um, images of text. But really what that plays, plays into is a screenshot is easier and, and you know, you don't have to click through anything. You can share a specific block of information with everyone at a specific moment with no other mechanics other than posting an image. And where that gets awry is people not having any sort of filter or mechanism for fact-checking that stuff. So um, one of the scariest claims I've seen being spread through the use of this kind of image um, with absolutely, well, dubious source. Um, it's, a, it's a square image that says, and I quote, this is, disclaimer, this is not 
factual health information, but the image reads, a Japanese doctor offers excellent advice on preventing COVID-19. And then a little bit later in the image, it says Taiwanese experts provide simple self-monitoring that we can do every morning. And then it goes back to a random Japanese physician. Um, but again, this is where things get awry. The image claims everyone should make sure the mouth and throat are always moist. Drink some water every 15 minutes. If the virus gets into your mouth, drinking water or other fluids will wash it down through the esophagus into your stomach where the hydrochloric acid in your stomach will kill the germs. So essentially this image with absolutely no source is saying if you drink water every 15 minutes, your stomach acid will cure you of the coronavirus. Again, not factual and unhealthy information. Um, it's wildly popular on Twitter and Instagram where images kind of take preference over text, but that's the kind of harmful thing that gets spread and no one can really do anything about it. it, it and and, uh, yeah. so, and what, what's so interesting is that information that you just read to me was mm -hmm. sent to me by a text message from a friend of mine who um, said that she got it from her brother who has friends in Asia. And, yeah. Um, and so I believed it. And I sent it to a group of, of friends. And then one of them wrote back and said, no, that is uh, actually not true. And they showed me the scopes, you know, the scopes list. And I guess scopes is, what is scopes? It's a resource for debunking. Facts. Yeah. Snopes is one of the, I guess, mainstays. I think they've been around since 1994, um, which kind of goes into their longevity. They are an organization which debunks um, misinformation on the internet. Um, they are independent and widely known. Um, they are very credible. Um, and they've since taken on a much more serious light than what they started out as, you know, debunking spam and weird fringe internet stuff to now they're kind of at the forefront of Facebook's fact-checking efforts, um, which is fascinating to me because a lot of people don't believe Snopes, which gets into even more issues. But um, the I come back to memetic disinformation, which is information specifically designed to spread, you know, like you said, you received it as a group text. Um, there's a reporter for BuzzFeed named Jane Litovenko. Have you ever heard of her, Lori? Mm -hmm. She specifically full-time debunks um, misinformation online. And that can be political or health information, spam. Um, but she has a very interesting write-up around the different text-based misinformation being spread. Um, around the coronavirus. And what's interesting is it always has a source. It's always says at the very top, I got this from my friend who's a doctor. I got this from my mother who worked in epidemiology or I have a friend of a friend of a friend. And so like immediately when you read this, it gives you an emotional appeal and says, this is from a 
trusted source to some extent, because if it's coming from a friend of a friend of a friend, and especially if the person who texted it to you is somebody you trust, it gets really, you know, shady very quickly. And at the, the bottom of a lot of these text message threads, they said, please share to everyone you know. So they are designed to be copied and paste into different group chats. Um, my roommate actually received one from his parents, which was then debunked by Jane, um, saying that Trump was going to invoke the Stafford Act in 24 to 72 hours. And I we need that one. I got that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So a lot of this, she has Jane Litovenko on BuzzFeed. Um, her article is called Here's a Running List of the Latest hoaxes spreading about the coronavirus and she updates these things in real time um, as they come in so um, my brother Paul sent me this from his friend's brother-in-law the head of infectious disease in Cork University Hospital has released a statement to doctors they have four young people blah 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 you know that's spreading via whatsapp and I think what's most interesting here is she's actually compiled some fake audio messages that were claiming to be from certain health ministers leaving a meeting about COVID-19, um, which then got debunked by the actual minister's office, even though it sounded exactly like him, um, it wasn't him. So... Oh, boy. That goes into deep fake technology being used to, you know, weaponize this sort of misinformation. And um, it's it's harmful at the very least, and it's deadly at max, especially. Why, why, um, yeah. why, what purpose does spreading fake information about COVID-19 help anyone? I mean, is it part of the Russian or Chinese plot to destabilize America? Is it just people who have nothing better to do? Like, I understand, you know, uh, creating some uh, waves around um, Hillary or Bernie or anything like that that have to do with an election. That makes that has a, a strategy behind it. But why COVID nineteen? Like, what what's the motivation behind it? So there's a bunch of different layers to that question. And what I'll start off with are the three different aspects of quote fake news. So there's three very defined categories of information, harmful information in this realm. So the first is misinformation, which is anything spread that is non-factual, but it, it's without the intent of causing harm. So if your mother sends you something about the coronavirus that is not factual, but sends it to everyone in her contact list, she is spreading what we call misinformation. Um, and that can be innocuous for a lot of people. They are just parroting things that they think are, are true, and it, that's where it gets harmful. Um, the other side of that Venn diagram is malinformation, which is factual content to some regard, but it's really defined as the spreading of information with 
harmful intent. So that can be everything from spreading, you know, a racy photo of your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend um, to their friends list without their permission, um, you know, spreading false or doctored imagery about somebody. That is all what, what is called malinformation. And the combination of those is disinformation, is when you are spreading false narratives and false information with the intent to harm. Um, and that is commonly used by state actors like Russia and China um, in order to destabilize certain narratives online. Um, and what was really interesting and kind of unprecedented uh, with a lot of this, you know, almost every major country uses these tactics to some regard, even the US. Um, but when the coronavirus was initially being reported on in, in China, um, there were boatloads of Russian bots attacking the Communist Party and trying to separate Russia away from China in, I guess, the West's eye, um, which was fascinating. They were trying, um, to, they were trying to project their version of communism. <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of ridiculous because it was, if, to me, you know, Russia and China are both state entities which fund this kind of trolling online, um, but to see them kind of working against each other, there are different ways of telling a Chinese bot from a, a, a Russian bot. Um, and that gets into some nitty gritty details, but you see these two actors kind of waging an information war against each other. Um, the Guardian just reported there's a leaked European Union report saying that pro-Kremlin pro outlets are posting disinformation and misinformation around the coronavirus. Um, and one thing to think about a lot of these um, campaigns are designed just to cause chaos. That's something 4chan organizes and does, YouTube commenters. Um, and, you know, and they're doing it because they get off on it, because they profit financially from it, because they're being paid by someone to do that. Like, is, is, what's the reason? Well, it comes back to basic, um, you know, Cold War style propaganda. Really a lot of this stuff is divide and conquer. And if you control and sow your narrative, let me rephrase that. If you seed lots of veritable information to certain hashtags around the coronavirus and you, you spread all of these different narratives, it keeps people confused. And then it's easier to chime in as an official source saying, this is what actually is happening. Don't believe everything else you see. So if you control both the um, misinformation and the quote factual information, the line is very thinly drawn. Um, and that's kind of the aim across uh, most of these campaigns. Um, is to decide where and when and who gets to say what online, which is a huge thing right now. 
So, I mean, that, are, you, yeah. are you using your power for good right now? <laughs> I have been doing my best. Um, so, obviously, I've been tracking the memetic information. And to me, memetic information. And, and yeah. when you say memetic, because we know the word meme, but maybe you can even translate meme for us and what it means, what meme right. means. <laughs> so at its most basic, a meme is an image or a piece of text, something that gets spread in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. And what that means, if we think of a viral video, that is a single video on a single platform that shoots up in what has a trackable metric. So if a million people watch a certain video, that video has gone viral. And the way people tell other people about that video is usually through a link. So your friend will text you a link to the video and then it'll shoot up in popularity once you watch it, you know, two or three times and you add views. Um, so you're not actually distributing the video, you're distributing a link to the video. Um, where memetic information differs is that you're actually distributing an image or a block of text or something designed to be detached from its source. Um, in addition, the use of screenshots um, kind of exemplifies that because if you receive a block of text from somebody that's close to you, but then you screenshot it and share it online to a, an entirely different network, we get into a whole bunch of different aspects of the media. So is it easier to share a screenshot of text rather than copying and pasting it? There's all of these different mechanics, but memetic information at its most basic is when you see a screenshot of a tweet on Reddit or a screenshot of a Reddit post on Snapchat or a screenshot of a, a screen recording of a Snapchat on Facebook. Um, where you're actually distributing an image or a block of text. Um, and that's used humorously throughout the internet, but when it, in the, the, the niche cases where it starts to spread harmful information, that's what I've been most interested in. So uh, is there any entity besides, you know, people that are studying this like you to, manage that i mean i know there's a lot of chatter about um you know facebook has stepped in to stop people from posting uh disinformation about covid19 but what what i've heard mostly in the last two days is people are getting posts blocked that have nothing to do with covid19 so that mm -hmm. their little ai engine is a little too strong um and and so there's finessing that has to happen there but so a Facebook is trying to deal with some of this, maybe too late, maybe not good enough, maybe sloppily, but how do we manage all of this? Right, and I mean, it comes down to the, holy shit, there's a lot of things that people are posting all at once, right? Yeah, it's too much. Well, it's not too much because it's the speed of the internet. And that is, we've decided collectively that that speed is too much for only humans to sort through. It's kind of like, I think of it like a landfill, you know, trying to sort out all of the recycling. Um, because fact checking and 
then once you fact check, you have to tell the people that they, they spread something harmful. Um, and then they have to believe you. So those are three or four different other aspects that don't always get um, talked about as much. You know, you can have a whole team of people in a room somewhere saying this is true and this is false. But I don't think we've even gotten that scaled up to the point where we can start to say the thing the thing you just posted is wrong. And Facebook has done a you know veritable job of doing the impossible in that regard. Um, they've started fact checking memes. Um, they've started posting Snopes links under articles or fact check articles under posts from people who are posting links to non-fact-checked or hoax articles. Um, and what's really interesting to me is if you go on Facebook and you post a link to something that's really terrible um, and non-factual, they might flag the link as fake. But if you take a screenshot of the same article and you post it, just the image, it'll get through their filters just fine. And so it's that, it's, it's the, the exact same. What you were saying. <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's basic piracy is what it is. So they're, they're, they're tricking the algorithms and the filters by, you know, by leveraging smarts, finding the loopholes in the tech. I mean, a lot of what I've talked about on the, um, sort of when I do some CNN stuff is how all these um, predators are using hashtags to find each other on YouTube and on TikTok. Like that's how they meet is by hashtagging content they think is, they can turn into salacious things or, or young girls they can bait into other situations. And so they just do hash, um, simple hashtags that you and I would never think are part of a predator ring. Um, but they are, they agree upon these keywords and then that becomes how they find each other. So what, is it just continuing to reinvent how we look at these things? Like what's, what would be a good next step? I mean, I would say that, you know, the, the crux of social media has changed immensely in a decade because Reddit was founded in 2011 with the very simple I guess mechanic of being the quote front page of, of the internet so you would take a link to an article post it on there and people would upvote it or downvote it and that was nine years ago which is you know eons in internet time and, and nowadays what's interesting Facebook in 2015, they basically took over web publishing to the point where you have to post your news article onto Facebook through AMP, which is uh, the, I forget the acronym for AMP, but you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, uh, their, it's their sort of doorway. Right, it's a specified format that Google created for web content that is very similar to how a web page is constructed, but designed similarly to an article on a news website. 
but it, it's not. It's trackable to some extent. Um, and the way, you know, you interact with this content on Twitter all the way to Instagram, um, all the way to TikTok becomes very different. And you have one story being told across five different mediums in some regard. Um, and that's where it gets really interesting. So um, I just broke down a Russian piece of content where they've taken two screenshots from Twitter huh. um, and arranged them side by side. Um, one was a news article about a young white boy um, selling some, I think it was like a lemonade stand in his neighborhood. And then the cops were called on him for not having a license. And the cops, you know, made a funny joke about it. They said, you know, they, they posted pictures of their police force um, with this kid and his family selling, you know, illegal lemonade onto their Facebook page. And then from there, what was interesting, CBS picked up the story. Huh. So CBS wrote an article on that uh, happening, but they simply embedded the Facebook page, the Facebook post from the police department into their article and wrote a little text around it. Um, then the CBS Twitter account tweeted a link to that article. So on Twitter, you only see the headline and the cover photo. And then that is what got screenshotted and ended up in a Russian meme. So after five different levels of, you know, narrative transformation, uh, things really kind of came out to the most basic aspect of that story. It was, you know, a tiny headline and a, a picture. So it's a game to a certain extent because <clears throat> you, you can't always know what's real and what isn't real. So what should we do? Stop sending things around or check snoops all the time or um, only send things that we know the primary source from? I mean, how do we move through this? Uh, acquainting yourself with the different aspects of it, I think is the most important thing and equipping individuals, you know, with a framework for how to, you know, analyze this sort of stuff is really important. So one of the, I guess, main tenets of meme culture is something called pose law which states that it's extremely hard to determine extremism from satire of extremism on the internet without a gigantic watermark that says this is fake and this is real. Um, so at the most basic, that's when people take the onion seriously. Um, have you ever seen somebody in the comments of an onion article taking the headline um, out of context? Right. Is this real? <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of humorous because we know the onion is a satirical news source and not trying to report factually. 
Um, but it gets very, I don't want to call it malicious, but if people look at a certain sort of thing online, whether it's Beyonce pictures or, you know, dog videos, you can build a certain style of content that people interact with. Then you can create your own page that posts that kind of content in order to attract those same people. And then the, the only difference between your page and their page is that yours, through the lens of dog videos, starts to post pro-political you know, political messaging. And people eat it up because they think, oh, right in the middle of this dog video, I got hit with an idea about Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump. And that's really, it's, it's sort of a Trojan horse mechanic. Um, the, the combating of that gets tricky very quickly because if you tell somebody, well, first there's like an identification. You see something in your feed that's false. Um, and then your first impulse is to fact check it. So you have to go Google it and see if that thing is true or not, um, which then leads you to a certain article debunking it, which then you post and you say, the thing you're posting, friend, is false. They have to believe you. That's where it gets tricky. <laughs> oh, so you're saying some of this stuff is so powerful that even, even though you know and you send somebody the facts about it, they're not going to believe you, just like we are in these bubbles. The bubbles are so strong, and, and um, people yeah. are faithful to their bubble. Well, it's, it's, it's a descent. You know, it, it's somebody has a teddy bear that they like, and they're holding on to it emotionally, and you say, the thing you're holding on to is harmful, and then they react. It's not really logical discourse, um, which is one of... Why are you so wise, so young? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's really interesting um, because I have professors even that post um, some kind of awry, emotionally driven narratives onto their own personal feeds um and i think one thing that gen z kind of embodies is this entire notion that there is no cavalry that we've grown up in a weird spot where where i think you know you might have grown up with a very hard line between work culture and personal culture and you don't bring things from home to work and there's a very hard line between what's appropriate and when we were at the ripe age of 20 we had to make a decision of whether or not we add the cool professor on social media um which then you know leaves that personal versus professional line very gray and it's very hard to determine what's an appropriate thing to post um, versus what's not an appropriate thing to post. 
Um, and it's where you get things. Have you ever heard the term Finsta? Finsta? Yeah, no, Finsta, like Instagram and Insta, oh. but Finsta. Instagram. No, I have not. <laughs> so. What is it? Basically, you're a seventh grade girl. And you never, got an iPhone in fifth grade. Please don't ever make me be a seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is prime Gen Z. Um, so you got an iPhone when you were in fifth grade going into middle school. And you signed up for Facebook at some point. Um, and then quickly, all of your parents, you know, your parents being on Facebook makes, makes you not want to post things on Facebook. So then you create an Instagram, and that's kind of the safe haven for a while until Instagram gets really popular. So a Finsta is a separate, hidden, fake Instagram profile um, that's separate from your main profile um, where you post things that you want to share to your network um, in a hidden manner. And what's really interesting, um, I've read some studies on what, you know, American girls post versus uh, South Korean girls, for instance. Um, and a Finsta will usually be a non-trackable account, so there won't be any of your names or you'll use a fake profile picture, something that isn't your face. Um, it's usually only meant for close friends. Um, and you'll share things like, oh, we're in high school and we're drinking at this party. Um, I'm, I'm just coming up with things off the top of my head, but. Yeah, I mean, um, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing that you wouldn't post on your main Instagram profile where, you know, you have family pictures and pictures of your dog and things like Wait, that. So, and so that another type of fake news then playing? The no, game? it's not. That's not fake news. That's simply creating closed networks where people come together around certain types of content. And like what was interesting is in America, the kinds of things that we hide in middle school are very different. In South Korea, they were posting, you know, bad test scores on their Finstas because they were so ashamed of sharing them with their parents. That's very different from, oh, I'm at a party in ninth grade and I'm drinking for the first time, um, which is more of a social um, delineation. Um, so it, it's interesting because that same mentality comes down to group chats. And you said you received a text um, containing some coronavirus information. Who, who was it from and who are the other people in? Well, and uh, it, it's, um, it's an executive I know who I, I try, like she's the smartest person I know in the world. And she said she got it from her brother who has been studying all this. And, right. and then he got it from military friends. I mean, it was vague, but, um, but I trust anything she tells me. And she and she believed it, you know. Yeah, and uh, that's it. Undermined both of your skepticism because it came from a trusted source. Yeah. Um, 
this is the exact same thing that's been happening in spam email for the past 20 years. Um, except instead of Nigerian princes, it's now your friend who has a military buddy that says, you know, the world is going to be on lockdown. And in any world that isn't a sci-fi movie, that would sound ridiculous. But somehow right. in the past two weeks, this kind of thing has become the new norm, which is fascinating. So, so what, what do you think, like what, um, well, I'm assuming besides being so brilliant about this, because, you know, I've, I've, this is so wonderfully comprehensive to get our, you know, I mean, we all know this is happening, but it's hard for us to put it into words. What, what do you do about this? Is there a business in this for you? Are you um, consulting about it for brands and, and entertainment properties? Like, how do you take this insight and knowledge and sort of expertise and position it for good? Well, I am definitely on the job hunt right now. There are many different um, great companies researching this. Um, Yonder AI in Austin, um, Graphica, G-R-A-P-H-I-K-A in New York. Um, Logically is one, I'm not sure where they're based. Um, there are research and think tanks like Data and Society, um, Rhizome.org that post a lot of this content. Um, Jane Litovenko from BuzzFeed does a great job of uh, debunking a lot of this information in real time. And I'd say the best thing that you know your average person can do is start to acquaint themselves, make those kinds of things the thing part of the thing you read in the morning for half and half a minute right so, so start the day off with uh your colleague from buzzfeed and um are there other other links people should go to um the cdc obviously is a good place um if one having an active interest in combating this sets you apart from anyone that will just take it as is. And all you have to do is go research what the people who are professionals at it are fact-checking and saying yes or no. And then if you ever spot anything in your newsfeed, simply say, hi, I think the thing, or I noticed this image you posted appears in this article debunking the factual or non-factual content contained within. Um, <laughs> How does this make you feel or what do you think simply in going to one of your friends and saying that's wrong with no link to back it up doesn't really do you any good but acquainting yourselves with the trusted sources of information goes a long way especially around something like the coronavirus that's what so, i would say so um so being a more active participant not just forwarding things that you think read interesting or might be true or even fulfill your current beliefs, but being a more responsible citizen um, about content in general um, and not, well, just hitting, not hitting send or share. The first thing is to reverse engineer your sources. If you receive anything that says, I got this from a friend of a friend and it was texted or sent or posted by somebody you know, try to immediately notice and tie that back to a trusted news organization like 
CNN or Snopes or the CDC. So, and um, just to, to play yeah. devil's advocate for one minute, and I know we're going to have to wrap soon, but sure. I'm a CNN person, but there's a whole half of the country that's a Fox News person. Mm -hmm. So do we need to go more center if we're going to check things or do we choose our bubble? Cause CNN's in sort of a left-sided bubble. Some right. say. Then it's try and tie it back to a nonpartisan source. Like the, if the CDC.gov says it, then it's probably good advice to follow. And, this, and this is true for any topic. We happen to be in the middle of a, you know, pandemic and um that's the second time i've said that word and <laughs> i'm like i don't think i've ever said it before th this year um and I'm, not, I'm not laughing about it to make light of it but um but it could be anything it's not just the pandemic it could be the election cycle it could be any political information it could be any public health information but anything should really be checked even an amusing image that you forward potentially could be very dangerous in terms of the impact that it has on current topics and current mindset. So to just be more of a global, responsible citizen in the content that you forward. And obviously, Mitch, where can people reach you to, to get more insights? Uh, the best place is Twitter. Um, I'm always open at M-I-T-C-H-A-I-E-T. Laura, I hope you can post a link uh, yeah. with this. Um, the best thing that people can do for me right now is start screenshotting and tweeting me anything coronavirus related that they receive. Um, a screenshot is incredibly helpful because it shows us when, where, and who sent it to you. Um, so if you receive any long blocks of text from your uncle that says, that martial law is about to be imposed, or you receive an image from your ex that says drink water every 15 minutes to cure the coronavirus. Those are both harmful things that can be analyzed by the people kind of on the forefront of this. Um, and sending them that content goes a long way. Oh, so funny. I can't imagine my ex ever sending me a um, recommendation to drink more, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So much, Mitch Shiat. Um, tell us your, your Twitter one more time. Um, M-I-T-C-H-A-I-E-T. All right, this is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, coming to you live from Los Angeles. Please, everybody, be safe. Take care. We'll be back next week, hacking away, still trying to pass on great uh, technology trends and speaking to great experts and doing what we can to spread the word. Please be safe, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 